In January of 1990, General Motors unveiled the first impact concept car at the LA Auto Show. It was a silver two-seater that looked sort of like a smushed-up flying saucer. This would go on to become the EV1, which was the first major mass-produced electric vehicle from an important car maker. I was one of the early test drivers. The EV1 was a pioneering effort, and back then nobody knew anything about an electric car. So it was kind of fun being, you know, among the first wave of drivers for this. That's my dad, Mark Maynard. He writes about cars for the San Diego Union Tribune, and he's been doing it since the 90s. It was my first electric vehicle. It was transformative in how I viewed what an electric car is. It's very simple. As I recall, it came to my house, and we plugged it in, we drove the car, we tested it, we lived with it for a few days. I didn't have a charger at home. I just plugged into the wall, which is slow charging, but it still kept up. And overnight, it would give you enough charge to do your errands and running around. I could see lots of opportunities uh, for buyers with this. By 1996, if you were a resident of Southern California or Arizona, you could lease an EV1 for about $400 or $550 a month. Back then, this was high technology, and it worked well. This experiment unfortunately ended in 2003, with only 1,000 EV1s produced. GM shut down the production line, leasing came to an end, and most of the cars were crushed. General Motors had a lot of very passionate EV1 owners, and when it came back, they had to pull those cars back. They didn't want to get rid of those cars, because that whole effort with EV1 was a living testbed that they worked with the owners, you could lease that car for however much it was, and they wanted the input. They were going to see how that car worked. How was the range? What were the temperature cycles on it? The, the thermal capacity on it? You know, the heating aspect. And, you know, as the EV1 went away, it took years to come back with another electric car or an electrified car. Today, electric vehicles are making a comeback. So far, 10 countries and a handful of cities around the world have announced total bans for gasoline or diesel. The hope is that electric vehicles, or EVs, not like the Pokemon, would help reduce air pollution and oil consumption. But are EVs actually good for the environment? What about our anxieties over their range? The batteries don't last, right? They're too expensive, right? Hi, I'm Nature Nate, and this is Waste Not, Why Not, a podcast where we talk about how not to save the environment. I'm an environmental researcher based in Taiwan, working on energy, ocean, and waste issues. Let's address some questions, myths, and misconceptions many of us might have about electric vehicles. Okay, question number one. This is from our listener, David Chu, who asked us on Twitter, are EVs environmental? Great question, David. Of course EVs are environmental, right? Zero emission cars means less roadside pollution. But an often used argument against EVs is that they use more energy than combustion vehicles, ones that run on gasoline. Instead of using that energy on the road, electric vehicles use more energy in the power plant. 
The logic goes, the environmental impact of an EV from raw material extraction to production to disposal creates a larger carbon footprint than a traditional combustion vehicle. Some industry-related reports said that EVs produced more emissions, but this was only true because those studies only looked at EVs based on traditional electricity grids that mostly used fossil fuels to produce power. Based on that, at the time, people thought that EVs on dirty grids are worse than combustion engines. This sounds pretty convincing, right? I actually had believed this for a time as well. But that got disproved. A study comparing the full life cycle assessment of EVs in Poland and the Czech Republic found that they have actually lower greenhouse gas emissions even on dirty grids. And Poland has a very dirty grid. Poland has a grid that largely uses coal to produce electricity, and yet it is still slightly less carbon intensive to drive an EV. In the Czech Republic, where the grid is less than half coal, EVs there produce 25% less CO2 emissions. Now, this is where it gets more interesting. The world is experiencing a massive growth in renewables and alternative energy development. So what's the total impact going to be once all the EVs are connected to a clean grid that uses other types of energy like wind or solar to create power? Well, we don't exactly know. No study will be able to predict how clean EVs will be in 2050. The technology keeps improving. But the trend that we do know is very clear. If EVs are still cleaner even when on dirty grids, they'll probably be even more clean on clean grids. But even if the world doesn't ever develop fully renewable grids, well, electric vehicles are still going to be better than exploding engines. Because, yeah, that's what they are. Exploding engines. Another common argument against EVs is the lithium-ion batteries used to power them. Hey, my name is uh, Daniel Vickery, and... I lead all the engineering effort for batteries and battery charging systems at a new electric vehicle company here in Taiwan called Gogoro. Gogoro is a Taiwanese electric scooter company founded in 2011. They are known as the Tesla of scooters. At Gogoro, Daniel's in charge of all things energy. The battery pack, the battery exchange systems, the chargers. Lithium batteries are actually a big part probably the most important part of electric vehicles. In a typical electric car, about half the cost of the whole car might be the battery itself. And it's perhaps one of the easier targets for people who want to criticize an electric vehicle. And we all do know from our experience with batteries on our phones or our laptops that they are kind of the most troublesome component in a lot of electrical systems. They might be big or heavy, they maybe run out of capacity over time. The technology is always changing. And also sometimes there's concern about safety issues like catching on fire. And so a lot of people also criticize them because they're not recyclable. Actually, lithium ion batteries are recyclable. It's true that there's not a lot of battery recycling companies out there that do lithium ion batteries today, but that's basically a result of the fact that there are not many lithium ion batteries that need to be recycled now. It's a new technology. The first lithium ion battery was made in 1992 in Japan by Sony. And it took another decade before really any of us saw it in any of our devices. So. This has become a technology that's only had really very, very broad market penetration in the last 10 years. Most of them have not reached the end of their life yet. 
but that will change. I feel confident that in the future, lithium-ion batteries will have more mature recycling processes and supply chains. Simply because in the future, quite soon, there's going to be a lot of electric vehicle EV batteries that are going to need to be recycled, and there's lots of useful materials inside that battery that people are going to want. In particular, cobalt, nickel. Copper and also aluminum are all things that generally are going to be more efficient to get out of a battery than to mine from the ground and then process the raw ores. This brings us to question number two: EVs have a short range, right? Since EVs run on battery power, the anxiety is that compared with your fuel tank, the batteries drain quicker and refill slower. Yeah, this is something that makes a lot of people feel very nervous, especially in places like the U.S., big countries where having a vehicle is equated with independence and freedom. You can go wherever you want, but there's tons of research out there that shows the vast majority of people are making very, very short trips on a daily basis. They're they're driving a couple dozen kilometers at best. The electric vehicles have already reached the point where their range are hundreds of miles. If you buy an electric vehicle, it would be very hard these days to to create a scenario where you have a range problem. You really cannot get to where you need to go, and if that is really a problem, it's going to be a once in years event where you know you can go rent a, a gas vehicle for that one trip. Maybe this range anxiety relates more to the American subconscious, who likes to imagine they will just. Leave work or school one day and drive 400 miles from Los Angeles to start a new life in San Jose. And an EV, well, an EV can't actually do that. But today's EVs have a pretty good range. A Tesla can get you from Waco, Texas, to Corpus Christi without recharging. A Chevy can make it from Boston to Manhattan, and a Nissan can take you from Chicago to Milwaukee. That doesn't sound too bad, does it? Back in 2015, the Berkeley National Lab found that current EV technology already fit the average American driving lifestyle. It's also easier to charge your car than to fuel your car. With EVs, you wake up and your car is fully charged, fully refueled because you plugged it in last night. You drive to work, school, or wherever, then you plug it in again. You do your thing, and by the time you need your car again, it's charged up. In this EV world, we wouldn't actually need gas stations anymore. You wouldn't have anxiety about running low on gas. You don't have to do any more planning around your day to fill up. Have you ever been to a gas station in the desert? Now that gives me anxiety. There's also concerns about cost. Most of us just can't afford one, right? Well, good news: EVs are getting cheaper because of increasing global demand and because of the global movement in banning combustion cars. Some researchers estimate that by 2030, EVs will be cheaper than traditional cars. Other reports say this could even happen as early as 2022. Right now, the ORA R1, made in China, is the cheapest electric car there is. It costs between eight to eleven thousand U.S. dollars. That's before any subsidies. You can only buy this in China right now, but this is going to be the new trend. As China and India have both committed to EVs, they are creating direct and indirect subsidies, forcing down costs. You might be saying, "Well, of course EVs are cheaper. They get all these subsidies." Well, friend, oil has received subsidies for more than a century. 
And to this day, it's hard for us to even know the full scale of fossil fuel subsidies. A 2017 study from the International Monetary Fund found that we subsidize fossil fuels by $297 billion per year globally. If we include the total cost from air emissions and unregulated carbon, that estimate swells to $5.2 trillion. Talk about a level playing field. So, these are the myths, but things have really shifted, and here's the reality. The US and the EU have done more of a carrot-style approach until recently, offering credits for vehicles. But that's all about to change, as cities and countries are moving towards EVs in an aggressive way by banning combustion engines. Now let's look at some of the places in the world where electric vehicles have taken off. In Norway, 20% of new vehicles registered in 2017 were EVs. Meanwhile, in Hong Kong, a combination of tax incentives and accessible charging ports drove up sales of Tesla. Elon Musk called Hong Kong a beacon city. By the end of 2016, the city had more Teslas per capita than anywhere else in the world, selling more than 2,000 vehicles a year. It's also the only city I've been to where my Uber ride was in a Tesla. The sad thing is that in Hong Kong, sales dropped dramatically as soon as those tax incentives were taken away. So ultimately what really matters is the government's plan for wide-scale fossil fuel cuts. The electric cars today, Nate, will get far more acceptance than when the EV1 was first coming out because now all of the countries, the European countries, are on board with electrified cars because they are restricting gasoline-powered cars in some city centers in Europe and elsewhere around the world. So the manufacturers now are pushing electrification. There's a big interest in it to make it work, and it will have to work. Now, on that list of 10 countries and cities we mentioned earlier, there are actually some weird members in addition to usual suspects. France, the Netherlands, Los Angeles? Yes, that's right. I didn't really believe it either. LA wants to ban all fossil fuel vehicles by 2030. With ample solar potential, it kind of makes sense. But it's a huge shift for a major car center like LA. Given the great EV failure of the 1990s, let's see how this one goes. The two main surprising countries on the list I want to talk about are India and China. Now, travel back with me 20, 30, 40 years and tell someone that any country is going to fully commit to electric vehicles, let alone India and China, most people would be dying of laughter and disbelief. Yet, here we are. An easy explanation is that these two countries have the worst air pollution in the world right now, so it makes sense that they want to develop emission-free policies. But is that really why they're doing it? There are reasons beyond the environment to adopt electric vehicles. At least, that's my theory. It's about oil. China is the largest oil importer in the world, and India imports 80% of its oil needs. This is a major security risk in a part of the world that is just waiting for conflict. These two countries combine also account for one-third of the world's total population. So if you don't need to spend oil for your transportation sector, you can prioritize it for your… military? But if we're building more EVs, that means exploding electricity usage. Where will we get all that energy from? There is very steady incremental progress to make batteries 
higher capacity, cheaper, safer, and it's happening. Uh, and there's there are <laughs> a lot of people invested in making this happen. There are probably thousands of PhDs trying to get their theses on this. There's a lot of companies putting in billions of dollars, especially auto companies, to make this happen. The next kind of promising technology in the battery space is a, what's called a solid state battery. Most batteries use kind of an organic electrolyte, which is this kind of liquid that allows the charge, electric charge to flow in the battery. Replacing that with a solid actually makes the battery much safer. And because solids are denser, it also can help make the battery hold much more energy. But that's still something that's really kind of mostly in the research stage right now. Overall, the concept of cars is a ridiculous one. Big, expensive, metal engines, oil-guzzling, scary danger tubes. But we're not going to get rid of them. And all cars, no matter what, are going to have an environmental impact. Yes, EVs are green, and they're only going to get more environmental with time. Batteries are getting better, the range is getting longer, and they're even getting cheaper. More importantly, governments are planning for zero-emission roads across many jurisdictions. This means that EVs are here to stay. So what do you do with electric vehicles? Your next car should be electric, but only once your current vehicle is totally dead. Don't just go smash your car in a demolition derby right now so you can switch over to electric. Driving EVs will not eliminate all the environmental problems related to cars. But at the end of the day, EVs will help reduce some of their more problematic aspects. If you really want to be an environmental commuter, then consider living near your work if you can. Take public transportation, ride a bicycle, or just walk. If you do absolutely need a car, buy a used electric vehicle if it matches your commute. And only buy new if you have to. Waste not still usable but evil combustion engines. Why not buy a used electric vehicle? Or just bike? I'm Nature Nate, and this has been the Waste Not Why Not podcast, recorded in a metal drum in the Future Ward co-working space in Taipei, Taiwan. Do you have a question? Email your voice recordings to ask at wastenotwhynot.com. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Give us a good rating. Hit us up on social media. We are Waste Not Why Not on Facebook, or you can tweet at us at WasteNotPod on Twitter. This has been a Ghost Island media production recorded on a Yeti microphone provided by Blue. This episode was produced by Emily Y. Wu, Emily Cardinelli, written by me, Nature Nate, edited by Emily Y. Wu, and sound engineered by Emily Cardinelli. Original theme song by Chris Lowe. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>